What's up, everybody? Welcome. Wednesday edition of the program. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. It is BTS Wednesdays. We kind of joke around. Billy Talk Sports, always talking about my man, Billy Hall of the Honolulu Star Advertiser, who was scheduled to be in studio with us today, but uh, he ended up shooting me a text last night, like around 10.55 p.m., uh, saying that he had a fever running, and so that's not good. In this day and age, that sets off all kinds of alarms. Uh, from what we understand, he's okay, but uh, decided not to come in very wisely to the studio. And uh, so we are going to actually get Billy by the phone uh, in segment number three, talk a little prep football. That's going to be his main focus here this week as the prep football season gets underway. Talk about this week's slate of games. Uh, he also has an anniversary special story that's coming out on Kaiser football. So we'll get into some of that stuff uh, as well. Also set to join us via the phone line is Hawaii offensive assistant wide receivers coach Jared Ursua. He's going to talk UH football. They had a single session practice yesterday for the first time. So they've been running these two sessions uh, concurrently, basically, where they would have the ones and threes in one session. They would have the twos and fours in the other session. And so that was how the schedule was going here in the early parts of training camp. Yesterday, though, they decided to go full team-wide practice, and so an opportunity to kind of see a little bit more of what the practice and training sessions are going to look like post-August 9th as this team really gears up and starts getting ready for that opener against Vanderbilt. So we're going to talk with Jared Ursua in segment number two via the phone line, but I want to start the show here today uh, talking about the loss of one of the absolute greats. And when you use the term iconic right it gets thrown around quite a bit uh, we've seen it even in regards to certain things like uh, NBA uniforms the Detroit Pistons are bringing back those teal uniforms that have the big horse head uh, on the front of the jersey and they called them iconic uniforms and it's like all right I think we're maybe loosening that term just a tad when you're saying iconic but in this instance uh, iconic might not even be enough of a superlative word to cover what this guy has meant uh, to uh, the game of baseball, to the broadcasting industry, and that is, of course, Vin Scully, longtime Los Angeles Dodgers broadcaster who passed away at the age of 94. The news came out last night. This is a guy who called Dodgers games for 67 years. His career <laughs> spanned over 60 years years uh, and then in 2016 he retired he did so gracefully um, he just seemed to me to be the prime example of someone who represents the golden era of broadcasting and was able to actually ride that train uh, into the modern era of television and radio broadcasting uh, and that's a very difficult thing to do to traverse that at a time where it is being announced that the dude perfect guys are going to be providing an alternate Thursday night broadcast on Amazon Prime or Prime Video. Uh, we're at a time where the broadcasting game has changed so much. And here was a guy who adhered to some of the very basic principles of broadcasting as a radio announcer and then obviously parlaying that into his time as a television announcer called numerous World Series and all-star games uh, he was the best of the best he is a guy who is universally beloved and adored uh, and I think that that is a very difficult thing to do in these times Vin Scully passing away to me uh, kind of represents the end of a, 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 a portion of my 
childhood to a large degree. Uh, it, it represents to me kind of the end of a certain species of broadcaster. Uh, I'm not sure who takes that mantle here going forward of a guy who was just so perfectly regimented for the game of baseball in his delivery uh, in the way that he was able to weave stories into the narrative of a baseball game uh, the the way he served as a soundtrack for so many memorable moments the way he was so perfectly able to encapsulate the the significance of all of these moments he was the consummate professional he never seemed to have an off day uh, and again i think he was a guy who you know in a time where i feel like one of the best in the business is joe buck and he just gets torn to pieces on social media you never saw that with vin scully he is a guy who i don't think anyone had any hate for uh, he was he was just a guy who i think appealed to everyone uh, and he was just an all-time classic and i think as an announcer right uh, in in our in, in our very sort of humble uh aspects and corners of the industry uh, we look up to a guy like vin scully who was able to just uh, embody i think this this very uh, basic and principled manner uh, by which he announced games and he would do so with a passion he was one of the first ever really uh, and I'm not sure if this is is really his doing if this was something that that was already sort of being talked about or something that was already taught in practice going back to like say the Red Barber days uh, but I don't think there was anybody who was better than Vin Scully at the less is more approach when there was a big moment when Kirk Gibson hit his home run or Hank Aaron uh, broke Babe Ruth's career record, the ability to lay out, as it's termed in broadcasting, let the 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 crowd noise, let let the the pictures, if it was on television, let all of that speak for itself. Uh, he didn't have to necessarily fill all the air to try to deliver the significance of the moment. He would let the moment speak for itself. And I think uh, for a guy who was such an icon and who was so widely beloved. Uh, that projects a lot of humility. He, he never made the game about him. He knew that the games were not about the announcers. And, hey, look, we, we kind of joke around. Nobody ever tunes in or tunes out to a game uh, because of the announcers. Maybe, maybe you tune out in some instances, but you never really just watch a game because you like the announcers. I don't think that that's too common, except for when it was Vince Scully. I found myself just wanting to, it could be, you know, Dodgers versus uh, one of the worst teams in the league, and I would just kind of want to hear Vin. I would just want to hear Vinny talk about uh, everything in life around the game, in the game, uh, and he and he was he was that kind of announcer, and yet it never got to his head, it seemed. It never was something that he felt like he was the star. Uh, he always made the game of the utmost importance. And so I think those are principles that we can all sort of aspire to and, and, and attempt to live up to. Uh, but I think what made him so great was that ability to allow the moment to speak for itself. And some of the biggest moments, I think calling the Hank Aaron uh, 715 uh, home run moment, uh, the Kirk Gibson home run in the World Series against the A's, uh, obviously the, the ground ball in 1986 that goes between Buckner's legs in game six of the World Series, Red Sox and Mets. Uh, here are just a few of those highlights uh, that we put together that I think kind of tell the story, just back to back, uh, Hank Aaron, Kirk Gibson, Bill Buckner, and it gives you just a very small glimpse into the, the simplicity but greatness of Vince Gully.
One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. Behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. All right, I mean, that's, to me, chicken skin stuff. Uh, I listen to that, and it's like, wow, that's great. And again, the simplicity of it, the allowing the moment to breathe, right, laying out, letting the moment do much of the heavy lifting there. Uh, because he didn't need uh, for it to be about him. It was about the moment he let it speak for itself. I, I just absolutely love the way he went about his business. And it wasn't just that, right? I mean, the calling of the action is one thing, right? Being there with it, she is gone, behind the bag, gets by Buckner. Like, that kind of stuff is unbelievable. But then it was also just in the uh, more uh, innocuous moments of a baseball game where he would be able to weave in these stories and it was as if every at bat or every inning just served as an almost like pacemaker to his stories he would use the pitch hitting the mitt or the the crack of the bat on a foul ball he would use those as sort of beats uh, as he was he was doing like freestyle poetry and it would always last like the at bats and the innings would always last just the perfect amount of time for Vin to get the full story and one of the best stories I think uh, was a Dodgers Giants game Madison Bumgarner was on the mound uh, this was uh, several years ago but this was just a story that has nothing to do with baseball uh, but it's just so vintage Vin Scully let's go ahead and uh, play that Keegan you know Bumgarner tells a story which in a sense Reminds you of what it takes to be a big league ball player. It's two years ago in spring training, and he and his wife were roping cattle, which is what they do. One one pitch, sinker low, ball two, two and one, and they were startled by a large snake. And Madison thought it was a rattlesnake, so he grabbed an axe and he hacked the snake to pieces. But there's something more to the story. Two one pitch. Low ball three three and one 
when his wife Allie and an expert field dresser examined what was left of the snake, she found two baby jackrabbits inside pieces of the snake and extracted them. 3-1 pitch to Turner way inside ball four. And after she extracted them a short while later, the Bumgarners noticed that one of the rabbits had moved slightly. It was alive. Well, his wife brought the rabbit back to their apartment. For the next few days, they kept it warm, bottle nursed it, and the rabbit soon was healthy enough that they released it into the wild. And Madison said, just think about how tough that rabbit was. First, it gets eaten by a snake. Then the snake gets chopped to pieces. Then it gets picked up by people and lives. It's all true. Meanwhile, line drive base hit to center by Hendrick. And the Dodgers are in business first and second and nobody out. So I guess really the morale to the whole story about the rabbit and the snake. You've got to somehow survive. You've got to somehow battle back. A lesson well taught for all of us. Yeah, vintage Vin right there. And uh, again, like everything, the pace of the game, even the base hit at the end, like was still perfectly timed for the laying out of that story. Uh, as as tangential as that story was, uh, it just was was so perfect and so classic. And Keegan Ota, you're a terrible person uh, because your eyebrows raised. We're, we're trying to eulogize this incredible announcer who is probably the greatest of all time. He has absolute goat status. And your eyebrows raised because, hey, look, he is human. He mispronounced moral, all right, the morale. I, I, saw, I saw your reaction there. You're, you're a terrible person, Keegan. <laughs> Whoa, whoa, whoa. I love Vince Scully. I, I, I love Vince Scully as anybody else does, but at the same time, I was like, that story was very interesting. I was like, wow, the snake, it, the whole thing is just interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, he could have, like, been uh, narrating a nature show. Like, it's like his voice was perfect for a number of different things. It just so happens that he applied it to the narrating of baseball. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can tell that, um, you know, for, for someone that's that's in this industry and in, in as, as humble a corner of it as, as I am, um, how much respect I have. Uh, for the great ones, for the classics, for for the golden era guys, uh, for the ones who who really uh, built their foundation upon the radio side of announcing, which is to me the purest form. It is poetry in many ways. It is it is a painting of a verbal and and audio tapestry, and and I think nobody did it better uh, than Vince Scully for sure. All right, we're going to uh, take a break. When we come back, shifting gears a little bit, uh, we're going to talk a little UH football. We'll have uh, wide receivers coach for the University of Hawaii football team, Jared Ursua, is going to join us on the other side of this timeout. Uh, rest in power, Vin Scully. We'll be back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu and very excited to welcome to the show via the phone line. He is the wide receivers coach for the University of Hawaii football program. Very familiar last name. He is a Hawaii guy coming back and doing his thing now on this staff under head coach Timmy Chang. Jared Ursua is on the line. What's up, coach? How are you doing? Doing great. Happy to be here with you. Excited to visit about Hawaii football today. Yeah, man. I mean, that's uh, the talk of the town, right? Uh, you guys are the, are the first sort of to get underway uh, under the University of Hawaii banner. Uh, you're in week two now of this training camp here, gearing up for the season opener against Vanderbilt. And I guess we'll just start with a broad question. Uh, you, in within your purview, obviously, uh, you're working with the wide receivers. Uh, there has been a little bit of turnover in that department personnel-wise. Uh, what 
have you thought so far of your group uh, and, and the development and progress here over the first uh, week or so of training camp? Uh, you know, we're, we're slowly getting our, our feet under us and gaining the confidence we need. Uh, you know, there's, there's two big battles you fight early on in camp. It's, it's, you know, it's understanding the playbook and then being able to hand, handle the grind and transitioning from a summer mode into now a 24-hour football schedule. Um, and I think we, we, we've, we've, we're getting our legs under us. We're understanding what we need to do. Uh, we're finding our wins on the perimeter. Um, and, uh, you know, when you lose guys like Calvin Turner and hmm. Nick Martiner and, and people who have a lot of experience, uh, what we're trying to do more than anything is help them build their confidence, and that's what we're seeing right now from our guys. Yeah, you know, some of the, the guys who have experience, though, Jonah Pinoke, obviously, one of them, James yep. Phillips, who's kind of, uh, you know, moved a little bit between receiver and running back. Zion Bowens, who made a couple of really big plays last year. Um, you know, these are, these are some guys that obviously have some experience under their belt. Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala, another guy that I think uh, there are high hopes for, for sure. Um, yep. How have they asserted themselves in kind of assuming that man left behind uh, by some of the names that, that you uttered uh, just earlier well you know what's fun is 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 that these guys may not have the stats uh, to brag about uh, and what they've done in the past but what they have is some hunger hmm. and they, they've come out and they've shown a, a, a serious interest in making sure that there's an understanding of how to execute their job and then learning from the mistakes based upon the different defensive structures that we're facing. Um, so I, I'm really confident that these guys are going to be able to go out there and make plays as we roll around into this early part of the season because how much work, how much dedication, you know, Timmy's pointed out a couple of times, you know, throughout this summer, it was a grind. You know, they were there at 5.45 a.m., ready at the gate, uh, trying to pick things up. And these guys may not have, you know, the two to three years and the 100 catches that, that uh, you know, you would want rolling into it. But don't be surprised at the end of the season when they do. So when you're talking about the individual development of not just these guys who are returnees, but even some of the newcomers to the program, you know, a guy who's been uh, really impressive, I think, as as a freshman from Houston, Texas, Chuki Hines, uh, wears number 84, he's 6'1", 175, but the guy runs really well, seems to have a, a great set of hands. Um, when you're looking at the development of these guys individually and also trying to get everybody sort of on the same page with the overall scheme, uh, how do you balance that as far as the objective are concerned uh, through a training camp process you know the key is reps and I think that's where we we, we wanted to, to put that priority in trying to get in, you know uh, multiple practices uh, you, they need experience they, they need opportunities really it's what they need you, you can only stare at a paper so long and really start to learn anything eventually you got to get out on the field you got to be able to play fast you got to make decisions sometimes make a mistake get back in the film room learn and then get back out there. And that, that development process is hard. Uh, you know, and you got to develop some thick skin because mm -hmm. now you got coaches in your face and we're intense and we're screaming. And, and the tempo, I know you've been at practice and seen, we're just bang, play after play after yeah. play. And so I think it's a, it's a transition for them. Um, but what we have seen is some resilience that they've shown they've got some, some the mental strength to be able to handle that, take steps forward day by day. Uh, getting themselves ready, obviously, for the objective of being week one or week zero. Benefit. Yeah, you know, uh, the, the two sessions uh, 
set up here, at least through the first uh, week of training camp, uh, seemed to certainly lend itself to getting more reps for everybody. Yesterday, though, yeah. uh, decided to go with, at least uh, for, for the day, a more traditional sort of single practice session. Uh, how did that pan out uh, in your mind? Uh, how, what's, what's the value in having that, that two-session setup uh, versus having you know, a, a more traditional uh, session like you had yesterday? Right. Uh, one thing that's great about it is now, you know, in these split practices, you're always going. Well, when you bring it all together, now there's a little bit bigger gap in between your next wave of plays. And then you get to see a guy like, for example, you bring up Chuki Hines. Now he gets to sit there and watch Zion Bowens. Hmm. And he gets an opportunity to, to be coached. Maybe Zion will come over and say and give him a point or an emphasis. And then it's just some of our core values, things like finishing, you know, and seeing how those guys, uh, you know, Tama and, and Dior and James Phillips and some of these other you know, young men that you've pointed out, how they approach the game, the, the level of seriousness to it. They get to now see that sense that, and now as a coach, you don't have to say as much because they understand uh, what, what it is we ask, how it is we do things, how it is we operate. We're talking with Jared Ursua, wide receivers coach for the University of Hawaii football program. Is your job as the wide receivers coach made at all uh, any more difficult when the quarterback situation is as it is, where there is an open competition, where, where uh, there, there isn't, at least to this point, publicly a designated number one guy just yet? Does it, does it make what you're doing, does it impact what you're doing at all? Uh, no, not not as much. Uh, being the fact that you know we we just got to catch as many footballs as we can, hmm. and so we got more active arms. We got more guys driving the football around. We got more guys that want to stick around after a practice A or practice B and throw it around. And it keeps everybody in a, in a point where all we can do is work and try to get better. Um, and so I, that 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 horse race will start to narrow soon. Um, and and I think you know Coach Shu does a great job, has a feel for it, what it is, but. When it comes to how does that relate to the position group I'm going with, it just gives, you know, you got four guys that want the job and feel like they can have the job. So what do they do after practice? They want to throw, you know, and they want to throw before practice and everywhere in between. And so I think that that plays out to be a, a positive for us right now. We're talking with Jared Ursua, again, wide receivers coach with the University of Hawaii football program. How has this transition gone for you personally? Uh, previously, you uh, spent several years at Weber State before that Southern Utah. Uh, obviously, that is your alma mater where you played football as well as a wide receiver and kick returner. I'm just wondering how the transition kind of coming back to Hawaii and, and being a member of this staff, how that's gone for you personally. I, I'm terrible at surfing now. You know, that? <laughs> at one point I was pretty good at it. I felt like I was. We lived in Laia growing up, and we'd go out to Gold Island, and 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 I could get up on a board. I'm awful. Yeah, this has really, really played a toll. Uh, the the time away, I guess, is what I'm saying. The 18 years away has affected my ability to ride a wave, read a wave. But <laughs> but there's a lot of positives that have been attached to it. My children, uh, my beautiful wife Sarah, uh, our four kids. Um, have loved the opportunity we get um, to be one in Manoa and be able to enjoy the beauty of the island of Oahu. And so it's it's been awesome for us. We love it. Yeah, I mean, uh, how often are you even able to to test the the surfing skills now? I mean, this this thing's kind of uh, <laughs> this 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 thing takes over, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this has been the summer of strain, and we we wanted to work. We wanted to put in work. We wanted to watch as much film. And so I definitely, I, when I say the summer of strain, that's towards football. 
not towards surfing. We might get to a point where there's a summer of strain where I get to get back on the board a little bit more. But for right now, it was more football heavy. Um, and so, yes, the, 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 all of my beach mechanics are off right now. But <laughs> it'll, it'll get there. We're going to get some wins first. Well, uh, that, that last name of yours carries a lot of weight around here, obviously, uh, not just from your exploits, but your brother John uh, being one of the, the great pass catchers for the Rainbow Warriors and, and parlaying that uh, into uh, an NFL uh, stop with the Seattle Seahawks. And uh, how often do you guys talk? How's he doing? If you want to give us an, an update, he's, he's been through some tough uh, injury experiences, that's for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, John uh, and I are really close. Uh, we spent some time. He's on the island now. I just had a, an ACL uh, surgery uh, within the last month and a half or so, and uh, so he's he's with us. Um, it's I think it's been, um, you know, there's there, there's no nice way to say it, but or, or there's no fun way of going through this process. Hmm. But I think one thing that's nice is that you know that I I am here. My mom moved back when I got the job. She decided to move home as well. She was uh, she moved up to Utah after his yes for him getting drafted to Seattle. And so we're all here. Uh, we get to spend time, have some dinners. He's always around watching. He was here this past Saturday watching the guys, excited as can be. And so um, his, you know, he, he's going to battle back. He's still got some good football in him. His legs are still, he's still a little faster than me. So he, he should be able to handle something. <laughs> I was going to ask, how competitive did it get uh, for you guys uh, in, in your younger days? Uh, so, there, so, <laughs> so, right, there's, like a, there's a nine-year gap, right? But John was different. So, like, at eight, nine years old, me and my middle brother, uh, my old brother, Anthony, I mean, we, we try to body him up all the time, get physical <laughs> with him. And the kid was, he was quick as a kid. I mean, he just in and out between three of us, and we're just like, wait, what? This guy's a little different. So, uh, there's a big gap, so I never really, like, beat him up or anything because probably hurt him if I did. <laughs> but really early on, when I'm about 17, when I'm about 16, 17 years old, and he's, you know, somewhere around that seven to nine range, it was like, whoa, this kid can uh he can be something so um tons of tons of competitiveness tons of things you you, you know we're playing whatever card games trumps at sunday night and we're, we're after each other but never anything too physical yeah well it sounds uh sounds like a great uh, uh household for sure and um hey man it's just great to have you on the staff and, and we wish you the best of luck here going forward uh, continued uh, uh um, success here with this group that you're working with and uh, we look forward to what's on the field come uh, vanderbilt yep appreciate you brother uh we'll see you at a uh, practice here soon you got it take care Jared Ursua, wide receivers coach of the University of Hawaii football program. We appreciate his time. Uh, obviously, a lot of turnover at a number of different positions uh, on this uh, UH football roster. Uh, wide receiver, no exception. Uh, and, and he's having to, to both develop talent and also kind of get everyone caught up with the scheme. So a lot of both individual and team-wide objectives here during training camp for Jared Ursua's group, that wide receiver core. All right, uh, again, we appreciate his time. Uh, when we come back, we're uh, going to have a little taste of BTS Wednesday. We're going to get Billy Hull on via the phone line uh, and get into a little bit of the prep football starting week here uh, and the slate of games that we have to look forward to here starting actually tomorrow. That is crazy. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Uh, you can call in if you have uh, any question or comment, 296-1420. Text via the Zephyr Insurance text line at the same number. Uh, we are going to go to the phone line, though, to welcome uh, our next caller, I guess. Um, he is 
kind of the guy that's usually in studio as the co-host uh, on Wednesdays, uh, but uh, was running a fever last night, so it was like, stay the heck away from us. Uh, we hope he's feeling all right, though. But uh, our buddy, Billy Hull, that's right, BTS Wednesday. It's kind of shrunk down to a single segment here. Billy Talk Sports. Billy Hull of the Honolulu Star Advertiser on the line. What's up, Billy? How you feeling? What's up, man? You know, it's funny. Your whole life, you just kind of like, ah, I feel a little drunk, whatever. And now after COVID, you get a little fever and you start freaking out. And you're sending me these uh, um, <laughs> stories online about, like, having COVID twice and what it does to you. So, uh, yeah, no, I feel pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was a little worried. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, how are you going to cover some of this uh, prep football here this week? Uh, are, are, is everything okay? Uh, and by okay, I mean we're still sort of in that, that negative testing place or what? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I, I've, I've still, you know, I still uh, haven't tested positive, which is good. I just had it like a month ago, but I guess uh, I guess it's a thing now. You can get it multiple times, and there's different uh, strains. Trust, I've read more about COVID in the last 24 hours than okay. I have in two years. So, uh, but, yeah, no, hopefully everything is because this is not – it's football time. It's go time, buddy. It is go time. You mentioned the last 24 hours. How about in a little more than 24 hours, prep football is officially going to be – underway uh how are you feeling about this week's sort of first slate of prep football games yeah well it's been a little bit of a uh, crazy you know we're down to just three games on oahu on friday you know um there was a puno waipahu game uh that's been canceled kalani and moana lua are gonna uh, scrimmage and you know a lot of it in talking to coaches is just it's hard it's hard for these um these teams to get ready to play the first week of august and you know, I'll be out at uh, Kaiser on Friday and talking to Kaiser coach Tim Seaman. You know, he's like, yeah, we're not ready yet to play, but, you know, we're going to play. We're going to let the kids go out there. We're going to let them have fun and see what happens. But uh, getting these kids ready to play the first weekend of August is definitely definitely a chore for these coaches out there. What stands out to you? I mean, you have some, some pretty big early – season matchups uh you have uh kahuku obviously uh, in action you have mililani taking on st louis so what, what's sort of the uh the games that stand out to you here this first week yeah well i mean you got to start with kuku i think right the defending state champs they're opening at home against kamehameha on saturday and look it's going to be awesome out there they got their brand new field they finally got the new field i heard they've got some uh pretty cool uh uniforms um, so it's going to be a big-time atmosphere out here. It's, it's happy for them. You know, they've been uh, playing on that dirt field for a long time just to, to kind of see them finally have that um, big, bright red, uh, shiny, uh, splashing field is going to be pretty cool. So, you know, that's obviously a big thing. But in getting ready for the season, I, one thing that's cool is there's a lot more inter-island games this year. You know, there's a lot of teams that are going to be going inter-island. There's a couple this weekend. I think, you know, teams like Pearl City, um, Kamuki, a couple of Hawaii Division II schools, they're going over to Kauai to play. Um, you've got Kapa, the Division II state champ. They're coming over here to play IAEA, and then they're going to host St. Louis actually over on uh, Kauai next weekend. So there's actually a lot of travel this year. Um, you, you're looking at teams playing 10 games. So, you know, it's been three years. You know, last year it was awesome that we were able to get some of these games in and stuff like that. It was kind of a modified season. Some schools only played five games. So, for me, it's just seeing a lot of these kids getting a chance to maybe fly in Rhode Island, have a little bit of fun, 
um, and play, you know, a meaningful amount of games, playing nine, ten games. I think that's kind of the, the first thing that kind of stands out to me as I've kind of started to look at all these schedules and get ready for the season. It's a mini BTS Wednesday here. Billy talks Sports, Billy Hull of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. You mentioned some of the neighbor island teams that are coming over here. Pahoa taking on Pac-5 on Saturday at Farrington. Keala Kehe taking on Kapule uh, in Kapule on Saturday as well. So just, yeah, a couple more uh, teams that are traveling at least uh, to this island. And as you mentioned, there are several teams that are traveling to other islands as well here this opening week. Uh, all right, uh, you know, you mentioned mentioned Kaiser uh, football and, and there's there's kind of an interesting uh, sort of milestone being achieved here for Kaiser football this year huh yeah this is um, this is actually the 50th anniversary of their first year as a, of uh, putting out a varsity uh, football team which was uh, 1972 um, you know the school opened and, and they had a JV team in 71 but 72 was their first kind of varsity team so you know it's kind of the 50th anniversary and so I've been able to you know, going to run something here in the paper on Friday, a little bit of an anniversary story. And, you know, it's just been cool going down and talking to some of, some of the people that have been around the program a long time. Um, Bill Von Arswald, who was an AD there, he was a coach there. He was on the original staff, went to, uh, went to college with Ron Lee. And then when Ron got hired to start up the program at Kaiser, he came over with him from Kalani. And, um, you know, they just got some great stories. Obviously, Kaiser, um, 1979, everyone remembers they won the prep bowl. Um, had a lot of good players on that team. Boyd Yap, you know, yeah. everyone talks about what a great player he was. Our buddy Rich Miano was on there. Um, had a couple of interceptions in that prep bowl game when they beat uh, Kamehameha. So, yeah, this is, um, you know, it's a program that 50 years, you know, they've they've done some winning. You know, they won the D2 in, in 2013, and they had a little bit of a tough time, uh, struggled to put a team together. But uh, Tim Seaman kind of come back. He's been at the school for so long, and, you know, he got him back, you know, winning the OIA D2 title last year and then competing for a state championship. And I think they should be pretty good in D2 this year. So, um, yeah, it's just been kind of a, a fun thing to kind of go down and, and just kind of see how the game has, has changed over 50 years and some of the um, things they had to do just to get the program started. You know, they were they had a tiny budget. I think their first athletic department budget was $1,300, and they were uh, losing money, and it was kind of a little bit of a rough beginning. And then, obviously, when they – had those teams and they got some big crowds and went to the, the prep one one that kind of changed things so yeah it's um it's always kind of fun you know these these programs you know damien has its 60th year i believe anniversary this year kaiser like i said 50th anniversary so it's always kind of fun to go down memory lane and kind of relive some of the great stories from the heyday all right again many uh, bts wednesday here billy talk sports billy hall of the honolulu star advertiser we look forward uh, to that 50th year anniversary of kaiser football story um all right but uh, since we have a few minutes here uh, are you okay with uh, maybe getting into a little bit more of a, a quick fire topical discussion it's a, a little game we like to call what the bleep are you down billy Let's do it. All right. Uh, so we call upon our, he doesn't like when I say a steam board operator, so we'll just go with steamy. We'll go with our steamy board operator, Keegan Ota. Do you like that one better? Keegan, take us through it, buddy. Uh, sure. We'll, we'll say steamy. <laughs> sure. All right, guys. First one up. Uh, what the bleep in this one. It's the end. It fell. And they've officially appealed the six-game suspension that was brought on down to Deshaun Watson by an arbiter. And the final decision on a lengthier suspension will be made by NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell. Guys, what the bleep? Yeah, I mean, so this is kind of funny, right? I mean, they go through this whole kind of arbiter process, and uh, in that conclusion, a 15-page conclusion, uh, it is said by uh, that judge that there was no 
or at least not enough evidence to be able to justify an indefinite suspension, uh, although there was corroboration. Uh, basically, that judge also said that the uh, testimony uh, and the accusations of Deshaun Watson were credible. So corroboration of a lot of the accusations, which to me kind of just creates this incongruity with the ultimate conclusion and the six-game suspension with no monetary fine. And so Roger Goodell, based on the collective bargaining agreement, still has the power uh, because of the evidence that was put forth in that conclusion, now even has the justification to extend the suspension. I think that's going to ultimately happen. I think it needs to happen. I think the NFL uh, is trying to save some face here, obviously, uh, and they need to send a better message than the one that is currently uh, being sent here on behalf of Deshaun Watson, who I think uh, ultimately was going to miss out on like $300,000 of his guaranteed uh, $250 million contract. And so now you introduce the monetary fine aspect, the lengthier suspension. Uh, I think it's something that the NFL has to do. But yeah, what the bleep, man. Roger Goodell, after all of this, he still gets to kind of just make the call. Yeah, well, exactly. And I, I tell you what, you kind of knew something fishy was going on when the NFLPA came out right before it was announced and kind of said, hey, we're going to accept it and we hope the NFL does the same. It made you kind of think that they were kind of getting a good deal on their end. But, you know, the thing about this thing, too, is like we've never seen any type of contrition shown from, from Deshaun Watson. And the fact of the matter is they found him to be guilty of these things. And mm -hmm. so if you have all these women and they've corroborated and said it did happen, the fact that, you know, he's only going to get six games. He's not going to really suffer any serious um, um, uh, money. You know, he's not going to lose a whole lot of money out of it. And then you kind of compare it to some of the other things that have happened in terms of guys that, you know, Calvin really made a parlay bet and had his team in one in a parlay. And you have, you know, other guys that have been busted for marijuana. Mm -hmm. and, and this is obviously way, way more serious than that. So I think there's no question that, that I think uh, Roger Goodell and the NFL had to do what they did. Yeah, all right. Uh, what's the next one here, Keegan? All right, well, earlier today it was known that Phil Mickelson and 11 <laughs> other live golfers wanted 11 live golfers to file a lawsuit against the PGA, and this just gets even crazier, guys. What the bleep? <laughs> yeah, it's like an antitrust uh, lawsuit filing, and it's just, I mean, just the onions on these guys, right? The, the, the live golfers, the guys who sort of turned their back on the PGA, they went for the money, and if you want to describe it as blood money and all that stuff, I mean, I think there is more nuance to it for sure. I, I think overall the, the, the main thought process is, hey, look, if you're going to go for the money on the live tour, do you go make that money go make that bag do you but i think to turn around and then actually sue the pga and to sort of have this thing where you want the best of both worlds to have your cake and eat it too as the saying goes i think that's the thing that's just it just rubs me the wrong way and it's like man the audacity of phil mickelson and the rest of these guys in this lawsuit like uh just to do what they are doing is just so annoying what the bleep indeed billy I couldn't agree with you more. And we've talked about it before that, hey, if you guys want to go do it, go take the money and go play in the thing. And don't try to hide behind, I'm doing it for my family or it's for the betterment of golf. Just be honest and say that you're doing it for the money. And it's kind of an interesting list if you looked at it because, you know, there are a couple of guys that are in kind of the FedEx Cup. And so they kind of have a little bit of a, of a, a thing in there where if they can get their way into playing in these FedEx Cup tournaments at the end of the year, I think it's what? $10 million on the line for the winner and stuff like that. So they, there are a few guys in there that might have a little bit of a reason to try to, to try to do this. If they can, they can play in some of these events later in the year, but for the guy, for the two guys at the top, Bryson DeChambeau and Phil Mickelson, you know, it's just, it's, 
it's unbelievable the, the, the amount of just, I mean, it, it's so selfish and it's so just like, yeah, you know what? Not only are we going to go take it, but we're also going to try to do this. It's, um, it's, it's, I, it, what the bleep, man. I, yeah, it's unbelievable. <laughs> that's why it's in, that's why it's the perfect segment for a story like that. All right. What's next, Keegan? All right, guys, Tom Brady today turning 45 years old, and I'd be surprised if he doesn't play on the field with a cane this year. Guys, what the bleep? <laughs> I mean, he's 45, and he's still kind of balling, right? Uh, what the bleep is for real. His face looks completely different from when he was a rookie, and I'm not trying to accuse him of having done anything artificial, but I'm basically accusing him of having done some things that are artificial to change his face. Like, he looks so much better looking. He's, the, he's like, as good looking as he's ever been. He's still chucking the ball like a, a, a quarterback in his prime. 45 years old playing in the NFL like that's that's crazy to me uh, he's figured something out uh, I think we're at a different time now in society where the aging process can be impacted on so many ways whether it's nutrition training maybe some other help but uh, Tom Brady being 45 uh, he joins a, a very exclusive club I think of of guys who were able to perform at a, at a high level into their 40s you think of nolan ryan who threw his last no hitter at 44 you think of jack nicholas who won the masters at 46 martina navratilova who won the mixed doubles championship at wimbledon at the age of 46 like that, that that's a pretty small list of people who achieved at a very high level into their 40s and tom brady is doing it in the sport of football which is uh, probably the most uh, I improbable thing of all playing quarterback no less sitting back there and taking shots every week so I just saw a stat where he just turned 45 today and there's no one else over the age of 40 on an active NFL roster this year, <laughs> which is just crazy. Think about it. This guy has had, when people started calling him too old, he's had a Hall of Fame career since they started saying he was too old to be playing. So, uh, hey, man, Tom Brady, get it, though, 45 years old, looking great. Keep going, buddy. Yeah, yeah. How about uh, Max Kellerman? Good call, buddy. Six years ago said that uh, Tom Brady was going to fall off a cliff. Uh, he didn't uh, mention maybe 20 years from that point was what he was talking about because Brady's won multiple rings since then. There, Max Kellerman, uh, who is uh, every day eating his words on that uh, stance that he took. Hey, Billy Hull, appreciate it, man. Thanks for calling in. Hope you feel better. Uh, we look forward to some of the write-ups here this week. Yeah, man, I'll see you next Wednesday. We'll get back, BTS Wednesday, next Wednesday. All right, you got it. Just test negative. All right, Billy Hall of the Honolulu Star Advertiser. He's my man, Billy Talk Sports, BTS Wednesdays. We shrunk it down to a single segment, but it was a quality segment. I mean, bleep yeah. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, it'll be crunch time. We're going to have our best and worst. Keegan's going to get involved as well. What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. You know, this uh, track that's playing right now, this, uh, this bumper track is... Uh, Notorious B.I.G. Long Kiss Goodnight, produced by RZA, one of my favorites for sure. And before we kiss you, goodnight for this edition of the show. It's crunch time, which means it is best and worst. You didn't like that, uh, you didn't like that segue there? Was that a little too forced there, Keegan? I, that was a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> <laughs> I just like that song. I, just, uh, I like that track. All right, uh, let's go best and worst. What's your best, Keegs? I mean, the best, obviously. I would say I'll, I'll give an honorable mention first. Uh, William Con uh, Wilson, uh, not William, Wilson Contreras. Uh, basically showing so much joy. If you've see, never seen this or saw the video, uh, Wilson Contreras showing so much joy, to, so much joy to the rest of the team for not being traded, yeah. staying with the Cubs. That was absolutely pure. But of course, got to go with the best. The definition of the word best or the greatest or icon, Vin Scully. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah, man. Uh, he was the best. In my opinion, the GOAT. The best. 
uh, all time for sure. Um, but yeah, that was pretty cool. Wilson Contreras had that kind of special near send off in uh, what was possibly going to be his last home game at Wrigley. And uh, now he's staying with the, the Cubs. And, and yeah, I think that's where he definitely wants to be. Uh, my best. This was just kind of a cool mention. Dan Orlovsky on ESPN. They were talking about the uh, injury to Tampa Bay Buccaneers center Ryan Jensen, what it means. And Dan Orlovsky from his time in Detroit uh, mentioned the importance of the center position. And he specifically talked about Dominic Riola, a former St. Louis guy, Hawaii guy, uh, one of my faves for sure. Uh, but just mentioning Dominic Riola and talking about the value of the center position and how good he was, uh, I thought that that was pretty cool, talking about that on NFL Live. All right, what's your worst? Uh, the NFL. Mina Kimes said it best on NFL Live on ESPN television earlier where uh, the public perception of Deshaun Watson basically fueled the NFL's decision to appeal this. So what was the point in waiting two days? Basically, when the news broke on Monday, this should have been already – if. if the, what was happening on social media, what was happening on public opinion, was happening earlier. It should have either been yesterday or even that day where you should have been appealing it already. I, it makes no sense for me, one, to have waited, and two, for to have a public opinion. If you knew you were going to do this in the first place, then you might as well have already done it. Well, they may have had to just check with some of the, the legal um team just to make sure that they were in a position to be able to do it. I, th I think some of the conclusion uh, from that arbiter uh, actually opened the door for them to be able to do this and justify a further fine and a further Well, suspension. but they had three days. So, I mean, even if you had to check everything, I mean, you would have been able to check it right away. It shouldn't have really taken that long if you were True. going to appeal this anyways. And now it comes down to the NFL's decision regardless. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's kind of like, the most mystifying Like, what were they thinking? Thing. Like, what was the whole process for? Seriously, what the bleep, right? Okay, my worst is uh, Paige Beckers, UConn star uh, basketball player, uh, tearing her ACL news coming out today she's gonna miss this season uh, she is perhaps the best player in college basketball and so uh, yeah that, that's just a bummer I like seeing talent I like seeing great basketball I like seeing great basketball players competing out on the floor and to lose uh, what may be the best player in the country uh, for this upcoming women's basketball season that's uh, that's a bummer so that's my worst all right uh, this was a fun one we had Billy Hull we had Jared Ursua from the UH football coaching staff Keegan thanks for your help I'm Kanoa Leahy we'll see you tomorrow everybody let's talk sports